Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. How are you doing today? It is uh, kind of Friday, so there are roughly four Fridays every month, so it's always a good thing if you like Fridays, because the weekend is ahead. I hope you get some uh, great rest in this weekend. I hope you have a great weekend. I always uh, say that work is wonderful. Work is great, and God's given us work to do, but you've got to have the rest from it as well. So I hope you have a good weekend plan. Um, I know for a fact that grieving is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when you are going to do it. And Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I don't know if we do that super well. So fortunately, I've got Welby O'Brien. She's an author of a book called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. So we're going to take a short break and bring her on and uh, talk about her book. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. I've been a part of Northwestern Media for over 40 years, and it never ceases to amaze me to see and hear about the growing family of givers to this ministry. Every day of the month, all throughout the year, gifts are processed from generous friends who partner with us, consistently and cheerfully supporting the station that proclaims the gospel, teaches the Bible, builds up believers, and invites all to experience new life in Christ. But to all of you who make up this great team of supporters, whether new givers or long-term investors, thank you. Your gifts have made an impact in thousands of lives for this life and in the life to come. And if you're enjoying the benefits of this ministry because of the sacrifice of others, why not take a share in our support needs? Your gift helps lighten the load and allows for greater ministry ahead as Faith Radio grows in impact and effectiveness. Join today with an online gift at MyFaithRadio.com. MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Welby O'Brien is my guest. Uh, She has a master's degree in counseling from Portland State and a teaching degree from Biola. And she first came on the show uh, because she's written a book called Restoring Hope for Families of Veterans with PTSD. And she's a gifted writer and a great communicator. And now she's got a book, a book called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. Well, be welcome. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Okay. So the question that's jumping off the page for me right now is you've written this book called Goodbye for Now. And I always wonder if that comes from a personal place. Did something happen in your life that led you to write this? It did. Um, after my father died... My mom and I just sort of stumbled around. We we had no idea of what to do or how. He had donated his body uh, to the university for research, so we didn't have a funeral home director or anybody to guide us through. So we were, needless to say, totally overwhelmed with all the stuff that had to be done in addition to all the waves of grief and other emotions. So thankfully we managed to muddle through, but afterwards when things kind of calm down. 
I realized what a desperate need there is for a guide to help people right off the bat to successfully get through those first few days and weeks when pretty much all you can do is just barely survive and also for the long journey of healing ahead. So goodbye for now is pretty much uh, what I learned in the process along with input from chaplains and funeral home directors, estate attorneys, and all sorts of other people who have lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. Now, you, when you, what, what were some of the very first things you did? I mean, when you found out that, you, you know, you, well, when your father died, what was one of the, some of the very first things you personally did? Because it sounds like you were instantly a little bit um, in a disarray. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's uh, put, well put. Yeah, okay. Um, the first thing uh, pretty much was to just call for help. Who who can we contact to help us out like right now? And that would be, for us, it was a pastor and uh, and then maybe some of the closer family members. And then we had to figure out that, obviously, the details for releasing the body. And, and then it just kind of sort of, everything just jumbled together. But Probably the biggest thing we needed to do right off the bat was get organized, and we had trouble doing that. So calling for help was the very first thing, and a lot of praying. Yeah. Now, in your book, you've got three different uh, sections. One's called the practical, one's called the personal, and one's called the promises. Can you give us a little uh, on back background on that? Yeah. The first section is all, like it says, the practical. It's the list of things that needs to be done, a checklist to help you through, get your thoughts organized, what documents you may need to find, what all those tasks that have to be done right away. And I've organized them in order of the most urgent first, and then you kind of work your way down to what you want in your service and what you want to say in the obituary and so on. So that is a checklist when you really can't think. Right. (laughs) to, to guide you through, and there's lots of uh, room on the pages to make notes, so that's important, I found. Looking inward, the personal, that was more for the personal, physical, emotional, and social realms. I started that one off with what I call the checklist for survival, and that is also a list of things that we need to do in the throes of loss, stress, grief, to take care of ourselves. And so so we don't totally burn out. So that was is kind of what the second section is about, along with other issues that go along with grieving, the social issues and changes that are coming about, and talking about the stages of grief and all that. And then the third section is pure scriptures. And I actually have them all typed out not just the references, so you don't have to go look them up. They're just right there. And I love how we've set this up so that if you are not a person of faith, you can totally make use of the first two sections of the book and (laughs) ignore the third, which hopefully we hope that they will read that because that's all about heaven and hope and salvation. But So that's the way we set it up, the practical, immediate help is right up at the beginning. And then you can kind of just flip through the book as a reference guide as needed. Mm-hmm. Now, Welby, you've set the book up in such a user-friendly sort of way. You've got some Q&A format. And, you know, one question that a lot of people struggle with is, 
Um, how do I respond to people's comments politely and without falling apart? What would you suggest? Well, first of all, don't be afraid to cry and never apologize for it. Because crying is good and it's necessary. And you're in mourning and tears are a normal part of the process, normal and healthy. So, quote unquote, falling apart or losing it is not a sign of weakness or lack of faith, but it just shows that your loved one was precious to you and you'll miss him. So I kind of learned the hard way, but if you're asked, like, how are you doing? A couple things that worked well for me were a little better today, thank you, or we always appreciate your prayers, or some days are better than others, or thank you for caring. Just keep it simple, show your appreciation, and 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 don't be afraid to cry. Yeah. Okay, what are maybe some things that people say that are really not very helpful? Oh, okay. I got <laughs> a couple of those. I bet um, you do. <laughs> not helpful is when the comments are thoughtless. Um, it, people have some pretty clumsy at, attempts to try to make you feel better. Like, for instance, when a child dies, they might say, well, at least you have two others. Mm. Or when a parent dies, well, at least we know our parents will go before us and the good it wasn't, it wasn't your wife or child. But I got to tell you, this actually happened to us. There was a lady from church that came up to me and said, oh, oh, we were so glad to find out it was your dad who died. Because at first we thought it was the other O'Brien who was much younger. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, at that point, I was learning how to take things in stride. So we, we got a good kind of chuckle out of that. <laughs> Welby, are there um, any rules for those who have just lost a loved one? I think, don't you have like three suggested rules in the I book? I do. And there's probably a bazillion more. Oh, but sure. these were <laughs> these were some to keep it simple. First of all, right off the bat, do only what is absolutely necessary for right now. And the rest can wait. The rule number two, take care of you. And rule number three, when in doubt, wait. And that involves any big decisions you feel like you have to make or things that you're wondering if you should give away or not. Just when in doubt, wait. Yeah. I bet self-care is probably one of the tougher ones because if you're maybe not sleeping or not eating and all that stuff because you're so distraught, it's hard to do self-care well. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes, I know this may not sound very nice, but as Christians, I think we think that it's not spiritual to take care of ourselves. The more we suffer, the better. But we need to take care of ourselves so we can be there to do what needs to be done. And it's important to have sleep and to feel the feelings and get good support and give yourself time and Take time off, count your blessings, pour out your heart to God. All those things that we need on every level to take care of ourselves and just draw in, take in, nourish ourselves because there's so much energy going out and there are so many demands on our physically on us and our emotions. Yeah, our, our bodies go through such a stage of distress when there's that much grief and sadness and emotion and your body just sort of floods with cortisol and then crashes and then floods again and mm-hmm. the self-care or, is pretty important. Yeah, or there's so much cortisol 
that you can't sleep. Right. Yeah, so it kind of a, is a vicious cycle yeah. there. And in some cases, you nothing wrong at all with going to the doctor and saying, I need a little help right now. Of course. All right, Welby, let me take a little break. Welby O'Brien is my guest. Her book is called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. You can also go to uh, uh, com. That's her website. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. Delighted to be talking to Welby O'Brien. She's an author, been on the show several times. She's uh, written a number of books. And the one we're chatting about today is called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. That's all of us because we're all going to be facing this position of grieving and sadness. And I know there's many stages of grief. Um, is there a proper way to go through that, the stages of grief, Welby? Uh, um Actually, no. Okay. There's no no rules and no best way. Okay. And and that's good news. Everyone is different, and so is their grieving process. And I think naming the stages is just a way to let us know that what we're experiencing is normal and necessary for healing. And I know there's a lot of discussion on what those stages are, but generally speaking, you start with shock and denial, or you're just numb. It kind of helps you get survive right at the beginning. And then there are the emotional reactions where you can just be all over the place. And then there's depression where you really hit bottom. And you can bounce around back and forth through all those. They're not necessarily linear. But eventually, hopefully, we get to what's called acceptance and recovery. And that's just... It's not saying you like what happened, but that you're able to begin moving forward. And there is no schedule and no perfect way to go through it. Mm-hmm. I would imagine uh, for, with great certainty that talking about losing a loved one with an adult is going to be incredibly different from talking to a child. Oh, yes. Um, Absolutely. So what what would be some guidelines for helping children who have lost someone they love? Um, I would say start with laying a spiritual foundation. And if you haven't already talked openly with your children about life, death, heaven, and hell, it's a good time to start. And I would encourage you to use the Bible as the source of truth and just kind of, I know there's a lot of books out there that are just nothing but fluff and maybe... In, in essence, missing the real truth. So use the Bible as a source. Talk openly about death and heaven. We're in a culture that really kind of shields us from that. Also, it's important to show them how to grieve, and the best way to do that is to let them watch you. And don't be afraid to be transparent and open about what you're struggling with showing them ways that they can process their feelings in a healthy way. Also, in a lot of cases, it's helpful to go to counseling together or join a grief support group. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to keep change to a minimum. Talk about the loved one. 
include the kids in the process if and when it's appropriate. And then finally, I would just say, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Just reassure them that you are there and more importantly, that God is there. Mm -hmm. Well, B, I know when we think about words like comfort, you want to comfort somebody that usually is associated with like feeling good. But Mm -hmm. is that how you would describe comfort? My take on comfort is that it's not the removal of pain, but it's knowing that with the Lord, everything's going to be all right. I remember when I hurt myself as a child, my mom was rocking me, and and the pain was there, but her presence was the comfort I needed. So they say, they, it's been said that the only thing worse than hurting is hurting alone. So when we can lean on Jesus and rest on his word, that's comfort. And the other thing that I love about comfort in in 2 Corinthians 1, we are promised that the God of all comfort not only comforts us, but he'll use us to comfort others. So to know that as you go through this hard time, someday at some point, you may be the comforter and the encourager to somebody else who's going through it. Mm-hmm. Now, when we think of our own end of life, I don't know if we do a very good job of preparing ourselves besides maybe finances. I mean, there's probably a, a checklist of things that we should have on our back burner thinking about that day. Mm-hmm. And we absolutely have that checklist in the book. I thought so. <laughs> And uh, that is, to me, maybe one of the biggest things about this book is preparing in advance. And the more we can prepare in advance, the better it will be. And I was thinking the other day, don't wait until you're sick and don't wait until you're old. (laughs) Because we might already be both of those. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. But the more we can prepare in advance the better it will be. And definitely there's a lot of things that we can do ahead of time that will make it so much easier on those that are left behind. There's enough overwhelming overwhelmingness that people have to go through when they lose a loved one. But if things are organized and put together in advance, put it all in one place, paying your debts, like you say, the finances, having your body arrangements made ahead of time. And and I do have a list in there that can help walk you through that. But definitely something very uncomfortable and unpleasant to talk about and to think about, but so worth it if we can do it ahead of time. Yeah, Welby, I'd love if you would talk to the idea that everybody grieves differently. So there's probably an, an opportunity for conflict between relatives after there's been a a loss because there's going to be different expressions of grief and and that can cause its own tension can it yeah definitely some people grieve silently and somebody might look at them and say why isn't that person sad (laughs) they may leave the room and go and just walk on the beach and just cry for four hours so you don't know what's going on inside of somebody else and some things may trigger others that might not. There might be a song or a picture or something that would 
all of a sudden just open the floodgates or be like a sneaker wave. So, yes, definitely it's important to respect that everybody is different. Everybody has had a different unique relationship with the person who is gone. Everybody will process it in their own way and to be supportive and encouraging. Mm-hmm. When I think of uh, having healthy boundaries and, and uh, you know, wanting to step into someone's pain, I think of um, the shortest verse in Scripture, uh, John eleven thirty five. two words, Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. And I'm always amazed that he stepped into their pain and cried with them, despite the uh, fact he knew what he was going to do. Absolutely. Yes, sometimes just being there, giving a hug, and that can mean more than you know. Praying for people, praying with people, just caring and not hurrying them to get over it. Mm-hmm. It seems that there's a, a trend, as I read some obituaries now and then, and I see some obituaries saying, you know, we're going to be you know, celebrating Scooter's life, um, but wear your favorite Hawaiian shirt and we're going to do it at this bar and there's no funeral. And I think, yeah. oh, boy. So, yeah. uh, you know, as a believer, we want to say, what's the spiritual significance attached to their loss? I mean, mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. know that Scooter's in heaven right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just don't make me show up for the party, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, unless you don't have a shirt. but Right, yeah, which uh, I it do, by the way. Really... <laughs> It is amazing to compare going to a memorial service or funeral or whatever you call that that you just described for those who don't know the Lord or at least the relatives don't wish to include anything spiritual in in that time compared to the celebration of life there's it's just usually a little touch of heaven to be with believers celebrating another believer who's gone on ahead. There is just nothing more amazing. And another opportunity, hopefully, to share the good news of the gospel so that people there can have hope. Mm-hmm. You know, Welby, I've, um, I don't know, do you have uh, a few extra minutes to stay after the break? I sure can. Oh, good, because I've got a whole bunch of questions I'd still like to ask you. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm always thinking of... There's, there's so much associated when people, they, they do kind acts. They bring over food and they send thank you notes. And um, these these are pretty, they, these can be pretty important in your healing process, can it? It's probably a good idea oh, to save yeah. those cards and you know mm-hmm. keep a record of who gave what. Mm-hmm. Keep the record and just give yourself lots and lots of time to respond with thank you notes. There's no pressure there. And I might add for those bringing the food, the casserole, please do it in disposable dishes and paper plates and things that won't require extra work on their part. So just make it as easy as possible. Right. All right. I'm going to take a little break. Welby O'Brien is my guest. She's written a book called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. I'm going to ask her a couple more questions after the break. We'll be right back.
back to the show. Awfully glad Welby O'Brien could stick around a little bit longer. She's written a, a book, and I'm just looking at some of her endorsements. Goodbye for now will benefit those experiencing fresh loss and those who seek to comfort those who mourn. This book is a blueprint for leaving the shadows of hurt and entering the sunshine of new beginnings. That's from Barry Black, who's the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And I've had him on the show, and that guy just spews out Scripture. He is amazing. So my thinking, Welby, when I think about kids, and kids in particular, because you might underestimate how much grief they, they've got going on in their head. Hmm. Because they don't have the, the they don't have the words to process. They don't have the language to process it. So, is it is it easy that we well, is it safe to say we might underestimate how much grief they have? I think that's a safe bet, and I think that's why it's important to show them how to grieve. Um, they're everybody's different, even kids, and so if yelling or crying or playing with puppets or something that some might work for some it might be handing them some crayons and saying draw me a picture of grandpa or playing with play-doh or whatever they do finding a way that is comfortable for them to work it through and to communicate and then again it never hurts to check in with a counselor it might be a school counselor or somebody at church, and there's also grief share, which a lot of churches have, and I don't think they have anything for kids. I'm not sure. I may be wrong on that, but so that's a really good question, and generally speaking, I I wonder if most of us have to learn how to embrace our feelings and how to express them in healthy ways. It's kind of an ongoing learning curve, even for adults. Mm-hmm. When I was in middle school, I lost uh, one of my best friends. He was hit by a drunk driver on his Ooh. bicycle. And, oh. you know, we were, you know, had the same jackets and the same baseball glove and the same bikes and the same tennis shoes. We were just kind of each other's shadows. Mm. And you go to the funeral and you see your friend in a little casket. And oh. you don't really have the language to process what's going on. And I remember running into his brother about, uh, you know, 35 years later. At, at a gym, at a health club, and having never really talked to him about it, you know, I literally walked up to him and we started talking about it, and I burst into tears. And Aww. he sat and put his arms around me and gave me a big hug, and Aww. I thought, you know, that was probably in the in the tank for the last 35 years. Wow, absolutely. And some reason or other, we think there's shame involved in expressing our feelings, and that's not not healthy. Yeah. Now, because because grief and, and loss are just, they're the heaviest subjects out there. Except for a Christian, we know what the, you know, the joy is that the person's in, in heaven in the presence of the Lord. So there's a great joy there. But there is always some mourning and suffering that goes on when you lose someone you love. And it's appropriate, I think, and you'll probably agree with me, that the grieving process should have lots of room for joy and humor. Yeah, I know. It It sounds not right, doesn't it? <laughs> but I agree, absolutely. As long as it's not an ongoing cover-up and numbing for the grieving process. So healthy laughter is important, and joy can most certainly coexist with sorrow. 
and we know that even God refers to laughter as medicinal. It's it's really a good release, and we can enjoy laughing at, at memories, funny memories. Uh, a lot of services we go to, they have people getting up and sharing, you know, fun memories, and, and that's really important to be able to have that joy. We can laugh with others, and sometimes we can just be all alone and laugh at, at things. And and it's also possible to laugh and cry both at the same time. I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and one more thing, too. It's important to be able to laugh at ourselves in this process. There's no way to do it perfectly, and if we are too tough on ourselves, that's, that's no fun. So mm-hmm. be able to just laugh at at ourselves along the way and just go with the flow. Yeah. And, Welby, I know that when you've lost someone you love, sometimes you, you do some some internal uh, diagnostic on yourself, and you and you talk about this in your book, and, you, and it might give you an opportunity to walk deeper with the Lord or mm-hmm. initiate family relationships that might not have been as close as you'd like. Mm-hmm. And you talk about, you know, just be aware of how much you're loved Mm-hmm. And the greater appreciation you have for your family and your friends, I mean, mm-hmm. when they come out and support you, it's pretty powerful. It is. And those, we don't often stop to think about the good things that can come out of this. And and that's true. We are grateful. We uh, can kind of re- revisit our priorities, get a better eternal perspective of things. I wanted also to mention, and I forgot to do it earlier, the concept of anticipatory grief. And that is something we're seeing more and more with people on hospice and terminal illnesses and nursing homes and so on. And it's when you begin grieving while the loved one is still alive. And so it comes in waves and it can be just as painful as grief following their passing. And so it's important to be aware that Sometimes grief starts before the loved one dies, and to be able to process the feelings also in a healthy way, the same same thing. And it's a challenge because you have to stay alive and open and yet guarded also at some level because you know their death is imminent. I would think with you know some conditions like Alzheimer's or severe dementia um, that maybe 90% of the grieving is done in advance of the loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you can put a number on it, but most definitely. And I I think people don't realize they are grieving. And it, again, it's not fitting into a nice, neat step one, two, three thing, but to stay in touch with the feelings and find healthy outlets for them, have that things prepared in advance as much as possible, and mm-hmm. make sure, most important, make sure that they are at peace with the Lord and that we are at peace with the Lord. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Well, B, uh, you bring up some other great points, and I'm just going to ask listeners. Um, so if you have lost someone, and you probably have, and they were close to you, um, did it help give you uh, of a more accurate perspective of the important things in life? Um, did it give you a, a newfound sensitivity to others' losses? Did it give you an increased desire to reach out to others? And these are all really, really good points. And I'm I'm wondering if you could say more to how important that is to to be aware of that. 
Yeah, definitely. Sometimes we just want to survive and get through it and hurry up and get through this so I can get on with my life. But when the time comes and and throughout the process, how how am I doing with the Lord and what am I grateful for and what am I learning? And again, I mentioned earlier there are places for journaling in the book, so it's really helpful to jot down notes as you have moments of insight or growth or tears or whatever, and you want to write it down and keep track of that. And to appreciate the loved ones around you, all those things are definitely important. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your, in your book, you do have tons of scripture. It's all written out. You don't have to look up verses, which is really nice. <laughs> and, you know, really, that is really nice. Um it's one advantage of being online. If you see a verse and you highlight, put your cursor over it, all of a sudden the verse pops up, so you don't have to ah. go digging for it. But I love the book that you've just put out all the scripture. And mm-hmm. obviously this is a book that for a non-believer would would absolutely love the first two-thirds of the book, and then hopefully they would love the last third the most. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, Welby, how do you feel about, this is, I don't know how controversial this may or may not be and what listeners think, but what is your thoughts on visitation to a cemetery? Um, uh, wow. I mean, I cemeteries I, can be very beautiful and peaceful. Yeah. And maybe you just want a place to go be alone and quiet and then... Uh-huh think and reflect on your loved one and maybe offer up prayers of thanksgiving for their eternal home and but uh-huh. do you do, do you feel that it's weird that people would visit a cemetery? I don't think it's weird. I do think that it's happening less and less, seems like. But again, whatever is soothing and comforting and healing everybody does different things. I know there are all sorts of traditions for where you want to spread ashes or those kinds of things too. And what may sound weird to one person may be exactly what another person needs. So I do agree that it's important to have time alone wherever that may be and to not be afraid to think about the past of the loved one and think about where they are and what they're doing right now. Those are all part of the process and the most important thing I think is like you said to to have it a time to connect with the Lord and let him speak to you and be your comfort during that time there's so much out there right now that is not true that talks about you know what happens to loved ones after they die and so on and we want to be sure that we get our truth from the Lord and get our comfort from him mm-hmm and probably a good idea to have a record book of, uh, you know, all of the passwords and everything else that you oh, would want somebody to know, right? Yes, that's definitely, that's in the book, too. Write down your passwords. That a dear friend of mine died a year ago and suddenly and didn't have any of that stuff. Thankfully, his son was a computer guru. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in a matter of time, he was able to break the codes, but it was very, very stressful for them because he left everything in a huge mess and did not prepare in advance. He didn't figure he was sick, and he didn't figure he was old. And <laughs> so don't wait. Yeah. And that is definitely one of the things to have in your file folder 
And as somebody suggested to me recently, I think it's a great idea, have a copy of the book, Goodbye for Now, with with your records and your files and your information. That will be a huge comfort and help to them when the time comes. Mm-hmm. And one of the little things that I try to do, I don't know how good I am at doing this, but I always try to keep uh, a record as best I can of the anniversary of somebody's death. So mm-hmm. when you drop them a note, you know, like saying, I know you lost your dad a year ago, or mm-hmm. I know it's been five years since you lost your mother, uh, and they get this card like a right around the exact time of the anniversary, mm-hmm. um, it lets them know that they're not going through this alone. And, you know, we just we just didn't care for the two hours at the funeral. We still care today. <laughs> that's absolutely beautiful. And I think more people, ought to, that's, I love that, yes. Yeah, I mean, just take a picture of the, you know, the, just put it in your date book. You know, mm-hmm. your your computer is a great way of re- reminding you of stuff. Mm-hmm. So how long has it been since you lost your dad? Well, it's actually been, wow, I haven't done the math. It was 2001. Okay. And I'm going to be losing my mom one of these days, too, and I'm just kind of gearing up for that. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I am so sorry. I am just so sorry. Well, she's ready to go, yeah. and, uh, you know, it could be, who knows, she could live to 100 for all we know. But, yeah, so this is all kind of pretty fresh because you figure we're going to go through it again. And two, my, two of my very dearest friends in the last year, so it does hit close to home, closer and closer the older we get. Yeah, well, I know it's a topic that everyone has to pay attention to because it's this subject is for everybody. Mm-hmm. So, Welby, thank you so much for uh, uh, thoughtfully and, and uh, laying out this book, doing such a nice job. The book is called Goodbye for Now, Practical Help and Personal Hope for Those Who Grieve. Thank you so much for doing the program. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Welby O'Brien has been my guest, and you can go to wellbyo.com, W-E-L-B-Y-O.com. You can learn more about her and, and get a sample of the book. We'll take a short break. And I'll be back in just a minute. show. Thank you again to Welby O'Brien for going a little bit extra long and answering some of my questions. That was awfully nice. And I am delighted to have in studio Lee Wolf Bloom. She is at leewolfbloom.com and she is a writer, an author, speaker, a mental health practitioner. And uh, welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, you've been there here before. And I you love got coming here. Almost crushed in traffic trying to get here today. <laughs> yeah. And Sorry. you broke several laws. Yeah, I state, kind of state yep. and local laws. Okay, yeah. good. I just drove on the side where the buses drive. That's yeah. okay, right? I think so. <laughs> you know, it all depends on how big your vehicle is. Yeah. So nice to have you back. Yes. Yeah. We're going to well, tell jokes the whole time, right? I don't think the whole time, but <laughs> maybe a couple because, okay. you know, the last subject we talked about was pretty heavy. Yeah, that is kind of yeah. heavy. I mean, she's a lovely uh, author who, who writes well and it's all important stuff. Yeah. But it, 
losing losing people is hard. It is. Yeah. Yes. Are your parents alive? They are, and that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Oh, well, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> They're alive and well now that I've got more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's the more part? Well, where do we begin? You start. You tell me. <laughs> Um, well, I think um, one of the things important before I get to the more part is understanding. Um, I wrote a memoir in 2013 that kind of chronicled um, really a journey for me that was very challenging, which was growing up and not ever feeling good enough. Um, I had some messages sent to me, not sent to me, said to me by people in my family. Um, one that was consistent was, you're the devil's child. Wow, and, that's and, pretty harsh. Yes, Pretty harsh. Uh, another was that you were the accident. So that was kind of a consistent theme throughout hmm. my life. Um, and it really, you know, took me to a dark place, which I wrote about in my first book. And um, just couldn't understand why why that was happening to me. What was wrong with me? Um, I tend to be kind of, as you know, loud and um, a little high energy, sometimes a little too much. And I, for most of my life, I thought it was, there's something wrong with me. So here I am 46 years later, right? In therapy, asking my therapist, what is wrong with me? Why, why did my parents treat me so different? And she said, are you sure that it's not all about you right now? Are you sure that there isn't a bigger story here? Mm. I was like, ah, I don't know. Nope. (laughs) They don't like me. Well, fast forward. Um, I took a DNA test as many people are doing currently because when I moved to Minnesota, I, everyone kept saying to me, I look Scandinavian and I kept calling my parents and saying, am I Scandinavian? Cause everyone's blonde here. I'm blonde, naturally blonde. I have blonde eyebrows. And they kept saying, no, no, you're German. You're German. So I took the DNA test thinking, let's find out. Well, and behold, I'm Scandinavian. Then I bought it on black Friday for my sister for, I think like 20 bucks, sent it to her for Christmas and then we found out we were half sisters. Oh. Which is where the story began. <laughs> the plot thickens. The plot thickens. Um, so what I am discussing is actually happening to thousands, even millions of people. Yeah. So the DNA tests, um, there are a lot of them. Um, Ancestry is pretty much the most popular one. Um, sales of DNA tests in Ancestry were 3 million in 2018. 14 million, no, 3 million in 2016, 14 million in 2018. And by 2020, they believe there'll be 100 million people who take ancestry. Hmm. That's just ancestry. So if you figure how many of those people then are going to be finding out things like I did, which was um, in in genealogy, they call it a non-parent event, which is called NPE, which is not parent expected. So what we came to find out very quickly was that my dad who raised me was not my dad. Okay. Right. (laughs) So um, the fun part, I guess you could look at it as fun, is with the Internet you can find out anything. Mm -hmm. So within probably about four or five days, I was able to find who my real father was. Wow. Um, And if you imagine a um, sweater, right, and you pull a string on a sweater... And it unravels. I pulled a string that unraveled a very large sweater, unraveled a lot of family secrets, um, which was very challenging. 
And the family secret being that I was the child who didn't belong. Um, it also validated something I had felt in my body my entire life. So um, I started just, you know, asking questions, doing lots of phone calls. Um, I ended up calling everyone who was related to my birth father um, kind of obsessively <laughs> because I wanted answers. Um, and I was really struck recently. Recently, I read the book Educated by Tara Westover. Um, fantastic book. And she had this line that it happens sometimes in families. One child who doesn't fit, whose rhythm is off, whose meter is set to the wrong tone. Mm. And I was, that's me. I was always set to the wrong tone. So here I am now at this crossroads in my life. What do I do with this? Right? How do I, how do I move forward? How do I recreate my past? How do I plan for my future? And who on earth am I? And I would tell you it has been the biggest crisis of faith, even though I've had plenty others um, that I've ever had. I get it. Yeah. To some degree. Yes. I, I don't get it to a full degree, but to some degree. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of stuck at some of these early uh, words that were spoken to you about the devil's something. Yes, the devil's yeah. child. Yeah. Yes. That's really, really evil. Yeah. Those are not words any child should hear. No. Who is that coming from? You know, second generation. Okay. So when we talk about second generation, it's people who likely knew um, the story. Okay. Um, come to find... Ouch. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal, though. People hurt people, right? You mean hurt people hurt people? And hurt people hurt people. Okay. Yes, that's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like last time when we did that math thing and I got it wrong. Right, right. <laughs> Thank God I have you. Um, yeah, hurt people hurt people. So what do you do with this? And then... What do I do with God, my father? Right? I now have two fathers. How am I now going to view a father that didn't tell me the truth? Another father that didn't tell me the truth. What am I going to do about my heavenly father? Mm. Okay. Well, we, I, I can sort that out for you. Okay. Awesome. I'm, I'll need uh, 2295 up front. <laughs> if you want. Venmo? Do you do Venmo? I, I'll do, yeah, okay. I'll do PayPal or Venmo. Right. Um, but... Uh, what I want to start with is the beginning of your life. In what context did that start and how and, and who and what, what was the, the occasion? <laughs> well, to keep it G-rated. Yeah, please keep it G-rated. <laughs> Family show. Um, there was an affair that happened. And, okay. and I was the product of that affair. Okay. Um, my father who raised me knew. And it was decided among those involved which was three people, that they would keep it a secret until they went to the grave. And because of DNA, I was able to find the secret. And I just recently went and finally got to meet my birth father and look him in person hmm. and see him. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. It's crazy, but you know what? The, I think the thing, the reason why I want to talk about it, I mean, it's not something I really want to sit down and talk about because it's very painful and mm -hmm. very hurtful what happened. And there is no way I would have gotten through this without a faith. Now, it has rocked my faith and it has deepened my faith. But when I'm at church singing, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
I'm like, whose child am I? <laughs> you know, am I really your child, God? Or are you lying too? Like, who's telling the truth here? So, but what's happening is this is happening to thousands of people. If a hundred million people will have ancestry by 2020, mm-hmm. how many more people like me are going to come out? And this isn't something I can just put on Facebook, right? It's not something I can just announce. Hey, by the way, I'm not who I thought I was. And I found out all these family secrets about me. I've kind of been kicked out in, in my idea of the genetic pool that I always thought I was. I also have three teenage boys that I have no health information from. Mm, good point. So what do you do with that? And the reason why I wanted to come on and share this is because I don't want anyone out there who's experiencing this to feel alone. Because it is to, to find out you've been lied to for 46 years. And now I've met people who 65-year-olds found this out, 80-year-olds. You know, to find out that you've been lied to your whole life is very painful. I bet. All right, Lee Wolf Bloom is in my studio. We're going to, uh, I'd love to have a listener. If you have a question, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com, and I'll ask on your behalf. She's uh, written a couple of books. One is called Table in the Darkness, and the other one is called Brave is the New Beautiful. So we're going to take a little break, but uh, feel free to email me any question you have. That's bill at myfaithradio.com. We will take a short break, and then after the break, we'll be uh, back with Lee. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.